Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile After the Podcast. This is episode 204 called Deja. Hello, everybody. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to remind you guys that I'm the co-founder of Fertility Rally, and I wanted to invite everybody listening to check it out. If you are going through infertility or if you're going through a hard time building your family, if you're using assisted reproductive technology or adoption or fostering or exploring surrogacy or in the midst of any of that stuff, we are here for you. We want you to know that you are not alone. This is the place that Blair Nelson over at Fab IVF Mama, go give her a follow. She and I created this space because it's something we wish we would have had at the beginning of our journeys. As you guys know, I'm done with my family building journey, but I will forever be in this community and forever helping everybody that comes behind me. And Blair is still in the midst of hers. So we are here for all of it. We've got two different perspectives. We've got hundreds of members all over the globe now. We have four different support groups every week. We have three private Facebook groups. We have a website full of content and videos. We have IRL events. We have virtual events. We have so much going on. It's a sisterhood like no other. We are trademarked the worst club with the best members because we are. Everybody in it is so fucking great. So I just want to invite you guys, if you're feeling alone, you are not alone. No matter what you're going through, even if you're just new to this world and you want to connect with somebody, check us out. So if you've been here for two minutes or you've been here for two years or longer, you know, seven years, 10 cycles, whatever it may be, we've got people to connect with. If it's secondary infertility, if it's male factor infertility, if you are a single parent by choice, if you're a same-sex couple, we have members who you can connect with for sure. So I just wanted to personally invite you guys to check us out. This means the world to me that this community exists and I hope that you will feel welcome to check us out. So let me know if you have any questions. Check us out online at fertilityrally.com or you can DM me at Stories, or you can DM both of us at Fertility Rally. Thanks guys. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code Alley 15 you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Alley 15 ali 15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys, what can I say about my next guest? She is a new friend of mine who I met when she joined Fertility Rally not too long ago. She is so much more than that, though. She's a fitness instructor and ambassador for Lululemon. She was named one of Forbes' Black Women Changing the Face of Fitness, and she is a huge influencer on social. She has almost 100,000 followers on Instagram and nearly 105,000 followers on TikTok, where she and her husband, Jimmy, have been chronicling their fertility journey and so much more. So definitely go follow her, guys. She's cool and funny, and I'm proud to call her a friend. And without further ado, this is Deja's infertility story. Let's do it. All right, my friend. It's so good to talk to you. 
we were just chit-chatting and realized we both are in New Jersey coming from Brooklyn before that. I'm like, what if you're in the house next door? That would be wild. (laughs) (laughs) If we're neighbors. (laughs) That would be so fun. Um, But anyway, thank you so much for doing this. I am so happy to finally meet you. Um, I've been watching your, all your different social media platforms. You're huge on social media and you're such a great content creator. You've got like such a way with, I mean, in a, in a very saturated field and like place, I feel like you just are so real and natural. And the reason that I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because you're so open about what you're going through right now with infertility. So thank you for that. First of all, let's start at the very beginning. Deja, did you always want to have kids? Yes, yes, and more yes. I honestly can't emphasize that enough. I am the Mm. oldest of 10. 10? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. A whopping 10. I am the oldest girl and then also just the oldest of all 10, but there are four girls and six boys. My mom Mm -hmm. has five and then my dad has the remainder. And, you know, coming from a very big household, I think I always knew that I didn't want to have 10 kids or maybe not even five, but I knew that I I definitely wanted to build a family. I love, love, love my siblings. They are some of, you know, the closest relationships that I have in my life. And I was very excited to embark on this journey of building a family of my own. Mm-hmm. So tell me when, when did it happen that you guys started to try? So Full transparency, my husband and I actually were having safe sex, protected sex all through our the beginning of our marriage because okay. we were very sure that we wanted to be financially secure mm-hmm. and we really wanted to find a place that we wanted to settle in. Mm-hmm. Um, now we've kind of settled in up up north and, and originally we had bought a house in North Carolina mm-hmm. to start our family there. And once we moved there, like that's when we really decided like, okay, we're going to start trying to have kids. There's this funny story that one of my old clients, I'm a fitness trainer. So Mm -hmm. one of my old clients that used to take my class used to say like, you know, you just got to pull the goalie. And I like, when she first said that, I was like, what, what, what What does that even mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And then I, Shortly figured out what that meant. Right. Um, we actually actively started trying once we moved into our home. We kind of like we kind of felt like we were finally at a place where we felt like we're laying a firm foundation for a family. Okay. Um, and so that was now over two years ago. We moved in twenty end of twenty twenty. So yeah. Okay. Almost going on three years ago. Okay, wait, um, I need to backtrack. Sorry, Deja. How did yeah. you guys meet? I should have asked you this first. Oh, you guys are so oh, yeah. cute together. I feel like oh, the chemistry so is much. palpable too on your on your social media. Like you guys thank are just, you. <laughs> how did you yeah, how did it happen? So we actually met on New Year's Eve of 2013 going into 2014 at a friend's house. And he came over with a mutual friend and or two mutual friends and me and my best friend and a couple of people were hanging out at her house. It was really more of like a kickback vibe. And he walked into the door and instantly I was like, who is that? (laughs) I love that. So, and so I like said to my best friend, I was like, Oh my gosh, she's so hot. Like, Mm -hmm. are you like, do you think he's hot too? And she's like, yeah, he is. And I was like, well, 
are you going to go talk to him? And she's like, no. And I was like, see ya, because I am. (laughs) Dibs. And I went over and immediately started flirting with him. And we've been together ever since. That's so great. So when did you guys start talking about building a family? Like how long after you got together? You know, I don't remember the exact time where we actually started talking about building a family, but he comes from a family of three and, you know, has close relationships with his siblings. And I think both of us are just family oriented people. He's very close with his parents. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, you know, I have always been somebody who cultivates like these family gatherings and, and things like that. So I think we always knew that like we wanted a family. I think we were honest with each other from the start, but I don't think we started talking about family building until we got a little more serious, like a couple of years into the relationship. Okay. So you bought the house in North Carolina. Yes. Then, we but now you're in Jersey. There. So how did you end up here? So I actually ended up here um, by way of Lululemon. Okay. So I got a job with them end of 2020 going into beginning of 2021. I have heard of and... Lululemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those that haven't heard, um, it's an athleisure brand and they now also own The Mirror, which is now Lululemon Studio Mirror. Yes. And I'm a trainer there and also a global ambassador for That's the clothing so brand. so awesome. Yeah. So we had bought the house in North Carolina end of 2020. Um, we moved from California. We both met in California. And then we, I had lived there for 13 years, my husband, like about seven or eight. And then we moved to the East coast together. We're both actually originally from the East coast. I'm Mm -hmm. from Virginia and he's from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to be closer to family, especially after like the pandemic had started. It left us that perfect window to just kind of like get in the car, drive across country and start new. So we moved to North Carolina, bought a house there. And literally, as I as we were closing on the house, I got this offer to join the team at Lululemon. And of course, it was an offer I could not refuse. And shortly after, I moved to New York. I moved actually to the middle of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And anybody who knows New York City knows that you probably should never move so close to Times Square that you just get the rush of people. And I literally moved to like Herald Square. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, I was right in the thick of it. And shortly after, like I, I lasted there maybe nine months and then moved mm. to Brooklyn. Nine months um, is impressive. Listen, I thought it was true. Cause like, it, it's really chaotic down there. Totally. So yeah. So then we moved and, um, Went, moved to Brooklyn, and then I landed here in New Jersey just a couple months ago. Okay. How are you yeah. liking the jurors? I love it. It's oh, such good. a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And I'm so close to the city. I'm yeah. literally like a 13-minute train ride. So yeah. like, yeah, it's That's wonderful. amazing. Well, we'll have to get yeah. together. We Sometimes yes. we do um, Jersey meetups or New York meetups. So we'll oh my goodness, about that yes. later, but yeah. I would love to. Okay, attend. so you you got here, and then when did you guys... When did you realize that, you know, you were trying and it wasn't happening baby-wise? So we kept trying, I would say probably for a little over six months. It was like six, seven months. We had been trying really, really just, I would say really hard, but also just like we 
definitely wanted our bodies to be able to do it naturally. And Mm -hmm. so like, we were very adamant about like, okay, we're going to give it all we've got. And I started to get frustrated. My husband was like, we can keep going. Like, let's do it. I mean, he has like the utmost patience. He's a school teacher, by the way. So Mm -hmm. that's where that comes into play. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So he was, you know, being patient with the process and I was just getting frustrated. And, you know, I felt like my internal clock was ticking and I was like, we at least need to figure out what potentially could be going wrong. So we went in for just like all of the fertility, the initial fertility testings. We did the HSG, we did AMH, we like checked my ovarian reserve, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. How and did you know where to go? If you don't mind me asking, did you like ask around, ask friends? I did. Okay. I did. I asked friends. I have a pretty big community up here in New York, New Jersey area. And so I just was asking all my friends, like mm-hmm. all my girlfriends, like who's your OBGYN? Mm-hmm. Do you know any, you know, reproductive endocrinologists? Like all right. the questions and like point me in the direction. Right. Um, and they originally pointed me in the direction of a couple of different fertility clinics. And I chose Kind Body. Mm-hmm. I went and did my initial testing with Kind Body. And basically they told us, you guys are completely healthy. Like okay. they did the genetic testing. They did the semen analysis for my husband and all the tests on me. And they're like, you guys are healthy. Just keep trying. Keep trying. So Do you mind we, if I ask how old you were at this point? Uh, let's see. I think I was 30. You also don't have to say if you don't want. Oh no, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. Yeah. I was 33 at this point. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely like was like, okay, fine. Let's just, let's just go for it. Like we'll try again. Maybe we just needed to like have the peace of mind to know that we're completely healthy and like, let me not get so frustrated. Let me just jump in and try again. And we got pregnant naturally in July. Mm-hmm. of 2021. Okay. And I had my miscarriage in September of 2021. So sorry. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It was honestly the most devastating experience I had ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. I felt so broken. I literally just like, I felt like all the pieces were on the floor and I was never going to be able to put them back together again. Mm-hmm. I was like, Honestly, like this is the greatest loss I've ever experienced. And I've lost loved ones. I've lost friends, you know, and it, nothing compares to just this loss of a human that you are starting to create. And like in the midst of the creation, you just lose like this life. And it just, it really gutted me. And I think Mm -hmm. after that experience, I was very discouraged it took a while before I even wanted to start trying again. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you mind if I ask but, what happened? Like, how did you yeah. realize that? Did you go in for a scan or were you, did you start bleeding or like, what was the... So the initially when we um, found out that we were pregnant, it was already like, see, this is now August is when we actually found out that we were pregnant. I got a positive pregnancy test. So excited. And I, I was feeling like all of the symptoms that you typically, I guess, would Google that right. I was like, not <laughs> Dr. Know, Google says you're, Dr. yeah, Google says, yes, nauseous, feeling some cramping, all the things. And then I would say that it was, uh, I think I was at seven, I had hit seven weeks and I started bleeding And at first it was pretty light and then it just like started to flood. And I remember very specifically 
it was Labor Day weekend and we were at my husband's parents' house and I started to bleed really, really, really heavy. And I told my husband and I was like, and like, I'm feeling like some serious cramping and it just like, doesn't feel right. Like I did read that Dr. Google says that like, it is a possible that you could, you know, hemorrhage a little bit or spot a little bit, but like, this feels like more than what would be considered normal. At least like, that's what I was getting. Like this intuitive feeling that like, Mm -hmm. this isn't right. Mm -hmm. So we actually went to the hospital in his Mm -hmm. hometown And what I think ended up being so crushing for me was that at the hospital visit, we got to hear the baby's heartbeat. And I was very, very like hopeful that like, because they told me it was this thing called subchorionic hemorrhaging and that I had a 50, it was like a 50, 50 chance that like I could lose the baby or I would stop bleeding and everything would go as normal. And so I was holding on to that 50% chance, like so, so hard. And literally the next day, I started feeling these excruciating pains. Like I've never felt pain like this in my life. And it was so bad. And I was like hunching over. We were in the middle of watching a movie with my husband's parents, my in-laws. And he literally, like I ran upstairs to go to the bathroom and he ran in behind me and like, it literally happened, but it felt like everything was in Mm slow-mo. Like I was like, I guess like, you know, letting it all out. And I was sitting on the toilet and there was like a part where like, I literally felt frozen and I like, didn't know what to do. And like, my husband was like helping, you know, me like get everything out. And I just, the picture is so vivid in my mind that it almost creates the same visceral reaction Mm, inside of me as I talk about it. It's like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I, I like, honestly, like no one should have to go through that. It was awful. I'm so sorry. It's a traumatic experience. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get that label enough. I feel like, and it really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, my husband was like so calm through the process. I honestly couldn't ask for a better partner. He was just so supportive and like took his time with me and like, just let me like move through it. And he was just there. And like, we went to the, we went back to the hospital because like one of the things that one of my girlfriends had said was like, you want to make sure that like everything actually did flow out of your body. They may have to do a DNC. You just, you want to go in and get checked up. And I was like, okay, well, I can't wait until we get back home. Like I want to like go get checked out now. Mm-hmm. And the doctor did confirm that it was a miscarriage and everything was out, which was a good thing. Yeah. And then to go back to my OBGYN and like make sure that my levels were dropping right. as they should. And I think like that week was really, really hard for me because my body still felt pregnant. Yes, yes. And so I was like mourning the loss totally, and simultaneously holding on to something that wasn't there. Mm, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk about that after you have a loss, though, like waiting to be unpregnant, like state mm-hmm. where it's like you're waiting for the levels, like you said, to go down. And that is such yeah. an excruciating place to be because it's like you're still... Yeah you're like in that no man's land, right? And it's yeah. so painful. And you're like, 
it's it's just complicated and it's painful and it's you're grieving, but you're like, maybe this will turn around, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's how I felt, at least at, at yeah. a couple of mine. Yeah, it just, I mean. So how did you guys deal with that? Did you and your husband grieve the same way or like, how did it affect your relationship? You know, to be honest, I think for a while, I thought that my husband wasn't grieving at all. Mm -hmm. He was very supportive and there for me throughout it. But I felt like I was the only one shedding the tears. I felt like I was the only one that was having the physical and emotional effects of like this crushing experience, like all weighing down on me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it took until like I could actually like articulate what I was feeling, which was like definitely weeks later, maybe even a month or two later where I like actually sat down and have a conversation and I was able to ask him like, well, how do you feel about mm -hmm. all of this? Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, he was so honest with me and he let me know that he was heartbroken too. And in a way that was comforting because I was like, well, I want you to talk to me throughout this experience mm -hmm. because I know that like, it's painful for me, but I also know that like, you're in this with me and like, you know, I, I encouraged him to like, not just be that physical presence there, but like, you can, you can be in this emotionally with me too. Like if you want to cry it mm -hmm. out too, like you can too. I want to hold that same space for you that you're holding for me. Mm -hmm. And I think from that conversation, like forward and with, you know, occasional reminders, like he is able to like voice to me what he's feeling through it. And yeah, I think it's been painful for the both of us. Yeah. It's so different how partners, if you have a partner going through this, you know, grieve differently. And that was the yeah. same with my husband and I, you know, I was just like pounding the floor, crying like I was in a movie and like so distraught. And like, he was all obviously really upset too, but grieved in a totally different way. And it's almost like yeah. another component that you have to try to grapple with and sort yeah. out, like just adding more complication to the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely another added layer. Yeah. Um, but exactly. I think I, I, my awareness for what he might be feeling and what he might be going through definitely has heightened through this experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what happened after that and how long you said that you didn't even really want to try again for a while, which is totally valid and normal, obviously. So what, yeah. what was it like for you those next, you know, handful of weeks or months or, or however long? Well, it took me a while to even want to like be intimate with mm -hmm. my husband again. Like it was like, uh, yeah. my body just doesn't, my body doesn't want to like, yeah. I, and I was listening to my body and he was being so gentle and so kind and so patient through the process. And like, I never once like felt pressured or felt like, you know, forced to get back into it quickly. He really just allowed me to take the time to heal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't, I think, until after like the holidays that we really like started to like have intercourse again for fun, like to just right. enjoy it. You know, um, I, I wasn't really ready to have the conversation about like, will we try again? Will we, you know, find alternatives for this process? Like, what will we do mm -hmm. until about spring of 2022? And so I think it was like either April or May where we found a fertility clinic that was close to us in Brooklyn. 
And we started with a new doctor, just like having the conversations about what, you know, the alternatives were. Um, We started our IUI journey shortly after that, because that was an option that was presented to us. And at the time, I actually didn't even know what IUI was. I didn't either when I went through it. I was like, what is this? What is going on here? So did yeah. they, had they diagnosed you with anything or was still kind of unexplained and, you know, just wasn't happening? So let's try an IUI. So the doctor that we were working with, in in hindsight, everything is 2020, as we know. But I feel like he wasn't as thorough as he could have been. Mm-hmm. I think that before jumping to an alternative, I wish that he would have run tests or like, you know, even like examined me himself, but he kind of just took the medical history that I had and like went forward with everything else. So it was like, you know, whatever tests had expired at that point, I redid those tests, Mm -hmm. but like anything that was still within standing from when I went to kind body, he was like, yeah, we'll just keep that. Interesting. And so there were no real, you know, additional examinations. Like, of course I did like the blood work, you know, in cohesion with the process of IUI, but like not additional like blood work tests and things like that. He just like, yeah, we'll just jump right into this. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, okay. when I went to Kind Body after I had four failed failed IUIs, which one was canceled, so technically three failed IUIs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, two failed IUIs and one canceled, so three total. And then I did a fourth one when I went to Kind Body, but like through that process. I, the doctor was just very detached and like, he wasn't really present in the process. I saw the nurses all the time, but like, I didn't hear from my doctor. I didn't, there was no like reasoning from jumping from one to the next. It was like, we did the first one. It failed. He's like, "Eh, we'll do another one. Like, it was just like a, it just kind of felt like this sort of like, redundancy like it was like okay like well it didn't work we'll try it again didn't right. work and try it again did you feel like, like you were just like in like the system like you were just a number like you're not yeah. getting individualized care like they're yes. not that invested yeah yeah I've heard yeah. that so often and like PSA that I know now thankfully like it doesn't have to be like that right like yes there's so many yes. wonderful te- medical teams that want to be like a teammate with you that you know do get invested in your story and all that stuff yeah. Yeah. And, and how so, do you know yes. that if you don't know, you know, it's, it's well, it's, it's true. Yeah. I think like going through it has taught me, you know, all of the wisdom that I have now and I'm so thankful for it. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I'm so transparent on social media is because yeah. like, I want other women to okay. know like that this is like a very like common process for women that, you know, are my age, sometimes even women that are younger than me, you know? And so, and I think that, you know, there is this sort of stigma that I want to remove from this process of fertility. And I think that, you know, oftentimes women blame themselves so much. Like, it's like, oh, like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my body? Like, what did I do wrong in the process? And like, I think my biggest message is to just be so gentle and kind to yourself and like, give yourself grace and honor your body because it does amazing things. But also, none of this is your fault. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. It's just not, you know, and it, it has taken me so many 
so many years to like figure that out. Like, Mm -hmm. I think like this time, but even previous to this, like, as I have gone through these different fluctuations as a woman with my body, I'm like, okay, like, what can I do differently? I mean, like, there are so many things that are out of our control. Mm -hmm. I think for this, like this particular process of, of my fertility journey has forced me to focus on the things that I can control and hold them gently Mm. and not like, you know, try to dig my nails into it or like, you know, grab the reins super tight. It's like, okay, like this is the stuff that I can control kind of. Mm -hmm. And like, there are some things that live in the gray area that it's like, okay, like maybe I can control a part of this. Yeah. And then the rest of it is like, you know, you just got to let it happen. You've got to just let it flow. Totally. Um, It's such a good point. That's like we were talking about before with fitness and you're obviously in the fitness world. You know, that was one thing that I really dived into because I felt like that was one thing I could control was at least going to classes and trying to get physically and mentally too, like in the best shape that I could because everything else was just a fucking crapshoot. You know, that's how it felt. 100%, 100%. And so, yeah, so I went through my first IUI. We started like end of May and that one failed and then went right into the second one. I actually, like I took one cycle, like a little breath because I went to Rome. And so I was like, you know what? I'm like not going to be stressed about this on my vacation. Right. And I want to drink so much wine. Yes. So like, <laughs> of course, so, like forget this for a second. And, you know, had my vacation, came back and then got into another cycle um, as soon as my my period started again. And that one actually got canceled halfway through because my body was overstimulated. And so instead of having like one to two antral follicles, it was five. Okay. And so they considered that to be automatic high risk. They weren't going to do the procedure. And so I took all these hormones and I was literally like, great, I did mm-hmm. this for nothing because now like I just have to sit and wait. They told us to abstain from sex. So I was like, okay, so like, can't even try to do it naturally. Like I'm at a loss here. Mm -hmm. So the third time I actually like demanded that I speak to the doctor before we go into a third cycle. And I was very clear. I was like, something's got to, like, we've got to change something because if it's not working or my body is just responding to this in, you know, a negative way, then we got to change. We got to do something differently. So what are we going to do differently in this third IUI that we didn't do with the first two? And so they decided instead of me being on, I think I was on Clomid and they switched me to Letrozole. Okay. And so, and, and a very, very small dose, like it was like, I want to say like 0.25 or something like that. It was just like the the smallest dose you could be on. And I went in thinking, this is going to be the one. I'm like going into it with this positive mindset. And I remember during the procedure, when the nurse put like the, the like catheter up and like with my husband's sperm, I remember feeling like a sharp pain. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't, that didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And the nurse nonchalantly was like, oh, yeah, like maybe I hit like a growth or something like that. Okay. Like, and I was like, mm, I, I don't think that that sh- should be there. Like, 
But I was like, okay, like I got to lay on my back. I got to like just de-stress and like relax because like, if this is going to be the one, like, you know, I don't want to like work myself up. So that passed, that one failed. And I was literally like, okay, I am absolutely done with this clinic, done with this doctor. I didn't feel good. The final straw for me was that I went into his office for a follow-up appointment after the third failure. And he said to me, as I was like crying, I was literally bawling my eyes out. He says to me, oh, I can see that you're um, getting really upset. Should we stop talking about this? What? And I was like, what? What? Should we stop talking about it? No. No, I want to talk about this all day, every day. (laughs) I like, I need to talk about this. What a weird response. It was such a strange response. It was so off-putting. And I said to my husband, as soon as we walked out of that appointment, we're never coming back here. No, bye. I was like, this is it. This is the end for them. Never coming back. Good for you. Yeah, Um, totally. So I had such a good experience with Kind Body when I did my initial testing that I actually decided that I wanted to go back to the same doctor that put me through all of the testing at Kind Body. And I just like didn't care how far I had to drive to get to those offices. I was like, whatever, I'll make the commute. Like I'll go into the city and like, we're just gonna, this is what we're gonna do. Like we're mm-hmm. gonna go back and see this doctor. I felt good. She had amazing bedside manner. Mm-hmm. She was very thorough. And so when I went back to see her, the first thing she said after hearing my full experience with IUI and the other clinic is like, let's do a saline sonogram. She's like, I really want to see what's going on inside of your uterus. Let's just do that exam first. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. And she really didn't lay out anything else for me at that point. She's like, before we start talking about options and like what we should do next, like, let's first do that. I love this. Yeah. And I, I honestly, immediately, I was like, great. She wants to like look deeper. Like she wants to figure out if something could be going wrong. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, also you're getting individualized care, right? Yes. Like, yes. And it like, should be, yes, it should be that, right? Allie? Mm-hmm. It should be yeah. like this tailor-made experience for every single woman. Because all of our bodies are different, you yes. know? Yes. So right then and there, as she was doing the saline sonogram, which was a little uncomfortable, but like, I didn't really experience too much cramping or anything. It just like your stomach is expanded with all the fluid that they, you know, put inside of you so that they can see. And she immediately saw two polyps. Mm. And she's like, I really honestly want to remove these. She's like, they shouldn't be there. I don't know what they are. I can have them sent off to pathology so that we can run further tests. But like, I think first order of business is that we do a hysteroscopy and we remove those polyps. Mm -hmm. So when she removed the polyps, she then, once she got a closer look while she, while I was like under anesthetics, after I finished the procedure and we did our debrief, she told me that the two large polyps that she found were blocking my left fallopian tube. Mm. And so I was like, oh, like, so that could be a hindrance to like, Mm -hmm. you know, me ovulating and like, you know, my, the sperm actually meeting the egg and like all of these things. And she's like, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely could be. And she's like, so let's give your body some time to heal from that. And on your next cycle, we can either try three things. She's like, we can do timed intercourse. 
we can do a natural IUI because she actually said that like from her like observation, she actually didn't think that I needed Clomid or Letrozole. And she thought like, yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. Like didn't even know you could do a natural IUI. Right. Yeah. Um, because my doctor never presented that as an option. So she's like, you could do that or we mm-hmm. could do an injectable cycle. And I was like, okay, I was like weighing all the options. My husband and I talked it through. We were kind of just like on the fence about what we wanted to do. And she did another follow-up appointment with us and we were talking and she's like, what, you know, the, it's all in your hands. Like you guys can choose whatever you want to do. You actually don't even have to choose any of the options. She's like, you know, IVF, I would not make that the first resort. She's like, if anything, like I would hold off to do that until we tried one of these three less invasive options. And I was like, okay, I'm for that. Let's, let's see what happens. And we did, we tried, we decided to do natural IUI. It failed. And I was crushed, but also I had gained this momentum because I was getting some answers. Right. And so I was like, okay, you know, we're in the groove. What's next? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about what's next. And so mm-hmm. I did another uh, follow-up appointment after the fourth failure. And I told her, you know, I feel like we're done with IUI. Let's explore our other options. What would you consider like the next best option. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, we should talk about IVF. It's not mm-hmm. something you have to rush into, but it's, you know, I think that that is your next viable option. Mm-hmm. And so we started the conversations about IVF and I wanted to know everything. I stayed on the phone with her, I think for like 45 minutes to an hour. My husband so and great. I were like asking all the questions. Yeah. And she was just so kind, so warm, so patient, yeah. so compassionate. Which doctor is this? I can take it out if you want me to. But So, yeah, no, you can. I think you can keep it in. Um, okay. Dr. Hyacinth Nicole Brown. Okay. And she is phenomenal. She's a reproductive endocrinologist. And she just is just this beautiful human. And yeah. I just, I love that she really takes her time with me because I know that she's very busy. I mean, like she stays booked up. Like it's so hard to get an appointment with her, but like she's she's so thorough and like she really just like will talk you through it. She'll let you ask as many questions as you want. And I feel really safe with her. That's so important. So, That's awesome. I'm so glad it's you like, found somebody yeah. like that. Me too. Me too. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, one thing that I would say to other women that are going through this process or about to go through this process is like, you have to feel good about your team. Mm -hmm. I think like it is honestly like one of the key components of, you know, having any sort of success in this is like really finding a strong team that supports you, that listens to you, that cares for you. And you can tell, I mean, we are intuitive beings. So like, trust what you feel. I think if I would have initially trusted what I felt when I stepped into that first clinic, Mm -hmm. I probably would have walked right out. But like, I was so new to the process and I was like, okay, like anybody knows more than me at this point. So like, let me just trust that they know what they're doing, that they know what they're talking about. But I can say now I finally feel like I'm in really good hands. It's funny because we, 
I feel like as women in particular, we're always brought up to like, trust your doctor, do what your doctor says, listen to your doctor. And this is one of those fields where, I mean, yes, the doctors are incredible more times than not. But if you get like that red flag or if you have that gut feeling, I feel like I just want to urge people to listen to that because it doesn't need to be like that. And like for so long, it's just like, and I felt the same as you. I was like, I don't know shit about shit. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they're like, take this med, you know, do this shot. And I'm like, okay, I did everything by the book. But, you yep. know, as you get into this more, especially if you're doing round after round or whatever, like sometimes it's, you don't, you need to tweak it and you need to advocate yeah. and, you know, ask the tough questions and do your own research as as hard as that sounds. So I'm glad yeah, that you said yeah. that. Yeah, for sure interesting enough, you just said tweak it. And it made me think of one of my friends that I'm now um, following her journey on social media. She is pregnant now, but um, she's sharing a lot of her journey and her handle is tweak it baby. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I'll check her out. Okay. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, So I honestly, I definitely was in that space of like not knowing in the beginning. And I think that's why, you know, I didn't even consider that having a whole new team would give me a whole new experience. I was just like, okay, these are the standard things, the generic things that you're supposed to do. And I had no idea that it could be a tailor-made experience. Right. One of the best resources that I was given during this time of like in between my IUI and going into this IVF is a book called Hormone Intelligence. Mm. I don't know if you've read it, but it's like a thick textbook. Okay, so it's by this doctor. Her name is Dr. Aviva Rahm. Okay. And she, I mean, honestly, this I'm should be this the textbook. Down. Yeah. It's like, it's so good. It's brilliant. Um, this should be the textbook for women when they're in or young girls, when they're in health class, because it really just breaks down everything. Mm. I mean, she talks about all of the possibilities of things that have gone on with women's bodies. And it's really just talking about how you have this hormone intelligence system. And like your body is giving you so many signals and is speaking a very specific language to you that only you can really understand because it's internal. Mm -hmm. And so I love, I love the book. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get through it because I'm like taking my time. I'm like literally studying it. Like I'm like getting ready for some sort of final (laughs) exam. I love it, Um, but it's really good. Yeah. So this was now our, our fourth fail failure of IUI was the end of November. Yeah, no, no, middle of November. Mm -hmm. So that happened and it was tough, but got on the phone with my doctor. I'm like, let's figure out what, what's happening next. Like, what are we doing? And she basically said, you know, IVF is what I would suggest. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about it. Ask all the questions. And we did. And it literally, honestly, Sonia helped me so much get through this week that shout out to Sonia, shout out to Sonia. She's amazing. I love her so much. And it was like this crunch time of one week going into the holiday season, because if I was going to start stimulation, I would have had to start it at the end of that week. It was like the first week of December, because Mm -hmm. if I didn't start by then, I wouldn't be able to do it on that cycle. And I was like, I need to make this happen. What do I need to do? Give me the checklist. I'm going to run down it and like make it happen. And Sonia talked to me and like gave me some 
important questions to ask my insurance company and important questions to ask like the financial coordinator and things like that. And it made the process so much more smooth. And I made the deadline and I was able to get in for that, uh, to get my stims started at the end of that week. And yeah. And then I just like dove headfirst into Mm -hmm. like this IVF journey. And that's what I'm in now. Right. So I love, I want to say that one of the posts that you made was just kind of chronicling like you getting the meds, reading the list of all the meds and just kind of like talking through it for people that might not know anything about this. And it was, I just found it so compelling, like the way that you did it. It was just in a very palatable and very digestible, which I think is really important because this is such a confusing world, especially if you're new to it. It's like, what are all these acronyms? What are all these fucking meds? Like, what is going on? Like, I remember just feeling so lost and so confused and so alone and all that stuff. So I just, again, commend you for putting it out there on such a big platform, because I really think the people that you're helping, it's like countless, you know, countless people. And it's so important. And even to just talk about it for people, even if people aren't going through it, just to see that you're talking about this and it immediately takes that stigma away. It's like, oh, this is just a part of some people's journeys and maybe it won't be part of mine, but everybody knows somebody that this touches in some sort of way. So I just think it's, it's cool what what you're doing. So thank you again for, for all that. Okay. Tell me where you are like this moment today. How do you feel mentally? How do you feel physically? What's happening? Like, you know, treatment wise, like what's going on now? Well, right now I'm like, actually I'm doing great today. I've learned to like just measure it day by day and moment by moment. So like when people ask me how I'm doing, it's a very like real live raw answer. Like it's like ask me again in 60 minutes. So it could be a different answer. It's so (laughs) true. And Sonia and I talk about that too. It's like, sometimes it's minute by minute, you know? Yes. She's, she actually said that to me too. She's like, you know, it doesn't even have to be day by day. It could be like moment by moment, like, you know, hour by hour, whatever it needs to be for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm doing really great. I, um, I finished my first retrieval. I kind of like walked through it on my social media, Mm -hmm. but basically they got 13 eggs, seven were mature. So then they like discard the six. And then from those seven that were mature, five of them were showing signs of normal fertilization. And what my doctor explained to me was that four of them out of the five stopped growing in the cellular stage on day three. So I only had one that made it to blastocyst stage. I am currently waiting for those results. Um, also waiting for additional results on my PCOS testing because after that retrieval ended up that way, my doctor was like, I also want to rule out you having potential PCOS Mm. because if you do, I also want to add an additional drug. Um, They wanted to add metformin, Mm -hmm. which I'm not super familiar with, but some of the women in my support group shared with me that they also take metformin and gave me some really great advice. So I'm prepared if I, you know, need to add that additional medication. But basically where I am now is in the waiting period. And since I had my cycle, I'm able to like get back into a little bit of movement. And so I'm I'm teaching a few classes, working out a little bit, getting the endorphins flowing through my body, which mm-hmm. I think that's definitely the source of my joy right now is like, mm-hmm. oh, I get to move my body again. Yeah. But yeah, my doctor is actually looking at us doing a second retrieval. 
Okay. Um, and so I'll be preparing for that on my next cycle. And next week I start estrogen priming, which is a new experience for me. I actually don't even know what it is. Okay. So how yeah. do you feel about all this? Like mentally? Mentally, it is a daily struggle. I have to like affirm myself daily, mm -hmm. sometimes multiple times a day. I just have to have these conversations with myself, just like empowering myself to like get through this. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It is really, really hard. And I think that I am having the best attitude that I possibly can about it. Yeah. And I'm also allowing myself to simu simultaneously fall apart when I need to. I love that. And like, you know, sometimes it looks like I literally got in the shower like last night and I said to my husband, I was like, hey, just giving you a forewarning. I'm about to scream in the shower. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Because I <laughs> thanks, knew babe. if I did it. Yeah. He's like, okay, thanks. You come running like, in like, you know, what's happening? Right. Yes, he totally would. And so I like gave him that forewarning. And I was like, I just need to like scream to the top of my lungs. Like I just, this is just in, in the, in the best way said by Fertility Rally, it's like, this is the worst club with the best members. Like, honestly, these women that are going through this, me included, are warriors. And the fact that we can take on all of this and still like attend to anything else in our life is magical. Yeah. And I think like, you know, if I w wanted any woman to know something in this moment while they're like going through fertility struggles themselves is like, you're amazing. Like think nothing less of yourself. You're absolutely amazing. And you know, not just anybody can go on this journey. I've said it before. I will say it again. It is not for the faint of heart. Like this is one of the most difficult and like trying journeys that I've ever been on in my entire life. And it's still not over. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when it will be over, which is part of the struggle. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm in that waiting period right now. Yeah. And I'm doing the best that I can each and every day, each and every moment. And I'm really proud of myself and I'm proud of my body for what it's doing. As you should be. I mean, I think that that's so important in saying you don't know how this is going to end. And I think that's one of the really, I mean, there's so many hard components of this, right? But that's one of them too, yeah. is like, you know, I've talked to people before and agreed that like, it's almost like if you knew the outcome, you could endure anything. Like if it was like, oh, yeah. you're going to have to do this Deja for two more years and it's going to be a roller. And you're like, but at the end, you're going to have X, Y, and you'd be like, okay, yeah. you know, mentally prepare, I'm in it. But like, yeah, knowing, I think that's such a hard part is like, you don't know what the end's going to look like. And it might, yeah. that might be changing every step of the way, you know, it's, it's the, the goal poster, what, you know, we talked about goalies before, but like that finish line, it's like, what does it look yeah. like? It might look different now than it's going to look six months from now, you know, it's and that, yeah. I think that uncertainty for me yeah. at least was really, really, really hard. Oh yeah. One oh, other yeah. thing I'm going to ask you is, do you have friends around you who are like, getting pregnant easily? And like, have you had yeah. to contend with that kind of stuff too? And how do you deal with that? Oh, that has been probably the hardest thing is like, and especially around the holidays, I feel like everybody for some reason saves their announcements mm -hmm. for like Christmas and New Year's. And I'm like, I really, I had to force myself to just take a lot of time off of social media. 
especially during the holidays. And, you know, some of my friends and family might be hearing this right now and forgive me for this because I had to do it for my own mental health, but I declined all calls with people with small children and babies, like especially FaceTimes, because I was like, I don't want to see you running around with Mm -hmm. your kids or like them opening up their gifts because like I am not there yet. And like, it is triggering for me. And it is, yeah, it is just like, you know, it's not that I can't be happy for those people. I feel like I am so happy for them in all of their joy. And I like want to celebrate them as well. But I think I have to put me first in this moment. And I know for me, like I'm still going through this traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to put myself in the, in the fire or in danger by like putting myself at risk of being triggered. Totally. So for me, it's like, yeah, that unfortunately for this season of my life, I just, I can't, I've got to ignore, decline, unfollow. I think that's so cool that you admit that too, because I think that, you know, those feelings aren't mutually exclusive. It's not like you can't, you can be happy for someone and sad for yourself at the same time. You know, I think that some, so many people think feelings have to be black or white or there's a lot of gray area in this world. And, you know, of course you can be happy for your best friend who announces that they're pregnant, but you can be fucking mad at the same time. And that's okay. You know, the fact that these things are coexisting. So, you know, like you said before, you got to give yourself that grace and, you know, go easy on yourself because this is trauma and this is hard. And this is one of the hardest things to have to go through for sure. And you are, I mean, you're like, the way that you're explaining it all is so just poised. And like, I know that, you know, it's, it's underneath, like it doesn't always feel polished, but the way that you're coming across at least is, is so awesome and so strong, but that doesn't mean you always have to be strong, you know, like this is true. glad that you talk about screaming in the shower because that's the reality of it too. Yeah, it is. It's all a part of the journey. And, you know, you were talking about the idea of things being black and white. And, you know, that is what we see when we're younger. It's like these very like, you know, this very black and white world. But as we, you know, become aware of all these different colors and the duality of life, I think that, you know, we're able to see the full picture. We're able to see a full spectrum. And like, that's where I'm at right now is really like, sharing the coexistence of my happiness and my sadness all at once. And like, it's just a hodgepodge of like all the emotions throughout the day. And I really find myself to be very entertaining these days. I mean, honestly, if somebody were watching me on a TV screen, this is definitely a colorful show, (laughs) but you know, I really give myself that grace that's needed to really like plow through all of the feelings and to just feel it all and embrace it all. And I know one day when my rainbow babies are here, I will be able to tell them how much they were loved before they ever even got here and be able to share that like colorful experience with them too. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love that Deja is still in the midst of it. So we're going to continue to follow up. We'll probably do another episode down the line as her story continues. But guys, definitely make sure you follow her on Instagram at Deja Riley. 
and she's just got great. She's a great content creator, really interesting stuff. It's about fitness. It's about life. It's about love. It's about relationships. And of course it's about infertility. So give her a follow. Thanks again to Deja and we are rooting for you, girl. Um, also guys reminder to check out fertility rally. If you're looking for a safe space, it's the place I wish I had when I was going through this. So we are also on Instagram at fertility rally. And you can check out our website too at fertilityrally.com. Our membership is open the first week of every month. We have four support groups a week. We have three private Facebook groups and we have so much more. There's tons of content on the site. You can do one-on-one calls with Blair and me if you want to talk about specific problems that you're having. We've got a sisterhood like no other. We have some IRL events coming up very soon that we're going to announce soon. We have Fertility Rally Live coming up again in April and so much more. So check us out. You are not alone no matter what you're going through. There is definitely somebody in the group. I mean, dozens of people, hundreds to connect with who know how you feel. So come and join us. We are happy to have you. Everybody is welcome. And of course, DM me if you have any problems or questions or want to know a little bit more. I'm also on DM at Infertile AF Stories. So thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time.